0: Welcome to This Week in Games. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and it is the second week of 2018, and I'm here to break down all of the latest game industry news. So the biggest news this week is probably CES. CES, for those of you who don't know, is the Consumer Electronics Show. It is mainly for, you know, consumer-facing electronics, mainly hardware, things like televisions, smartwatches, any IOT device, all the way from like IOT toothbrushes to IOT refrigerators. The game industry used to use CES as its major launching platform, but then I believe in 1995, E3 was created and E3, you know, quickly took over the attention away from CES as the major game industry launching platform. So now, CES, not as much game industry stuff, but still pretty uh, pretty prevalent. So the biggest thing, I think, at CES this year was the new HTC Vive Pro. For those of you who don't know, the HTC Vive is a, a VR headset display. Now, what that means is you're going to be wearing this and you're going to be fully engrossed in the world. You're going to look up, you're going to look down, left, right, forward, backwards. Everything's going to be the game world. So the HTC HTC Vibe Pro is pretty much the most high-tech VR headset display ever released. Um, I guess HTC's angle is that there really isn't a premium product in the VR headspace. I guess most gamers would consider any VR headset a premium product, but HTC thinks that there needs to be, you know, the step above. What's the iPhone 10, you know, compared to the eight of the VR headset space? So this thing has OLED screens. It's wireless. The highest resolution. Screens of any VR headset display. I think it's boasting a 90 megahertz refresh rate. Um, I don't know. I don't know anyone personally who plays VR games, you know, regularly at at any means. So, I don't really know who this is targeted to. It's hard to think about, let's see, most people I know who buy VR headsets play with it for about a day or two and then kind of give up. I guess the most played game of everyone in my circle was Resident Evil 7, but even then I think it's more of a gimmick than it is a platform that anyone expects to see in 5 or 10 years at least until we get to some kind of like brain hookup where you actually see the world and you're not wearing a headset display. So the other thing at CES that I thought was interesting is something that I thought would come along a lot sooner and that is Razer has a prototype called Project Linda. And basically it's a Razer Blade laptop shell That you plug in your Razer mobile gaming mobile phone in and then you can basically use the Razer blade laptop shell as a full-on laptop so I guess the idea is that you buy this high-end gaming phone and then the phone can also function as a gaming laptop and you know it makes perfect sense so basically phones are just getting faster and more powerful as we go And I see no reason why your phone will not be the console of the future. You know, do you really need to buy a PlayStation 4, a Nintendo Switch, an Xbox One, a gaming laptop, a gaming desktop? Why isn't all of that just one device? Now, obviously, PlayStation and Microsoft and Nintendo (laughs) want their cut of the hardware sales and want to, you know, dictate what they see for their hardware's you know vision and future however like there's no reason that my powerful iPhone can't shut off the rest of the kernel access and and use all system resources to play one high end game I think that's what we might see in the future and this is the first sign of it with the project Linda I'm really excited to see this Um, you know hopefully in 10 years we can have our cell phones be like Nintendo switches where we just plug them in a dock and then play console games on our TV I don't know but uh, I thought this was pretty interesting go check out the trailer if you haven't so the next news we had this week is Nintendo had a very random unannounced Nintendo Direct now Nintendo doesn't really do traditional um, press conferences instead now they opt to do Nintendo Direct videos and these are you know cut and edited videos that they'll I guess I don't know how many times a year they do them but uh (laughs) this one was just released unannounced which is as far as I understand not normal for them so basically they go through what's coming up for Nintendo so this Nintendo Direct had everything from Dark Souls um, releasing on the Nintendo Switch uh, you know, more sequels, Mario Tennis, I'm very excited about. I believe I'm undefeated in Mario Tennis for N64. You can't return my booze. Special funky serve. But, uh, I think, uh, one telling sign of this Nintendo Direct is all the Wii U ports. And I thought it was funny because being a person who owns the Wii U, I feel like Nintendo wishes that (laughs) no one ever owned a Wii U. And that they can now release all these amazing games that the rest of the world didn't buy onto the Switch. And actually, the Switch has already surpassed the Wii U in Japan for lifetime console sales. So, if we see where Nintendo's going with this, I imagine every game for the Wii U is eventually going to be released as a port to the Switch. So, I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, It's really nice in Nintendo to let everyone play these amazing games, but at the same time, you know, you really feel like you kind of wasted money buying the game in the first place when it's going to be re-released on the Switch. And vice versa, you feel like you should get a discount maybe buying the Switch port. Because I remember when they had the fiasco with the virtual console going from the Wii to the Wii U, I actually didn't own the same games on the Wii (laughs) that I bought on the virtual console on the Wii U, meaning that when I bought uh, Super Ghouls and Ghosts and played it for 50 hours on the Wii and loaded up my Wii U, I actually didn't own that game. And I think I could rebuy it for a discounted rate, but it still kind of hurts the cause when money spent in the previous console generation doesn't transfer over. Anyways... Um, So for the Wii U ports, we have Hyrule Warriors, that's the Dynasty Warriors um, (laughs) Zelda crossover. I believe Koei made that, if I'm not mistaken. Koei are the developers of the Dynasty Warrior franchise. Um, We also have Donkey Kong Kong Country Tropic Escape, and uh, a new version of... Pokin Tournament DX and I think there's new characters and stuff for that. So we'll have to keep our eye out on that um, Everything else the Nintendo Direct, you know, like I said Mario Tennis um, Some new downloadable content from Mario Odyssey and uh, The World Ends With You is coming to consoles. That was a well-loved DS game I didn't play it, but I have a lot of friends who love it. So we'll have to see how this turns out so next this week we have awesome games done quick they raised two point two five million dollars two million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars actually to be exact two million two hundred and sixty nine thousand two hundred and nine dollars and ninety six cents i mean these guys are amazing so if you don't know what awesome games done quick is it's a charity event where they speedrun games I believe 24-7 and they do it for about a week maybe less than a week and they do everything from like competitive Resident Evil 3 speedruns to you know 100% complete um, chrono trigger runs so you have everything from games where they speedrun using glitches and they could speedrun you know Pokemon Blue in 15 minutes And then, like I said, they do 100% speedruns, which could take 50 hours. I don't know. Somewhere around then. Um, I was looking at some of the highlights, and I must say I always loved the Super Punch-Out or Mike Tyson's Punch-Out speedruns, and this year had the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And Zarlard1 did a double run of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and Super Punch-Out, simultaneously if you guys want to check that out um, check the twitch archives and I'm sure these guys have posted on YouTube but uh anyway so these guys do this marathon and they raise money and you can donate you know they both gamify it where you can donate to four speedrunners to do certain speed runs or face certain obstacles or handicaps or you just donate out of the goodness of your heart and so I always try to give money every year and of course it's for an amazing cause and this year it was the Prevent Cancer Foundation and I wanna take my hat off to these guys and their amazing project that they've been doing for I don't know I wanna say like four or five years now and this is really inspiring and it shows that video games can be a cause for good you know, and for charity, and good job. So, next disturbing news is, uh, this week, the U.S. Army and Department of Homeland Security jointly developed a first-person shooter simulator. Now, I'm sure you guys remember the Army's, uh, America, what was it, it was called America's Army, um... I believe they had a first-person shooter when I was growing up in high school. So that was from 2001-2005. And it was a decent first-person shooter. I think it was mostly a recruitment tool by the Army. But now they're making a game to help people survive school shootings. Now, as bizarre as that sounds, the idea is that basically if teachers experience school shootings in a video game in a simulated setting that they won't panic and will be under, I don't know, a calmer feeling of the situation when a school shooting happens. So if that already didn't sound suspicious enough, (laughs) they let you play as police officers trying to kill the shooter, which I find, you know, pretty... uh, Pretty counterproductive. And then to up the disturbance one more level, they let you play as the shooter, trying to kill whoever they come across. I don't know how you can defend this, but uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't even have words. You're gonna give teachers a school shooting simulator so they can practice what to do during a school shooting. That also allows you to play as the shooter, trying to shoot people uh i don't know let's move on so <laughs> here's the biggest juicy cat fight in the game industry right now cloud imperium games cloud imperium games these are the makers of star citizen um and Crytek, the makers of the cry engine are in a legal battle so this is actually pretty interesting basically Cloud Imperium Games, I'll just call them CIG from now on, have switched from using Crytek in favor of Amazon's CryEngine-based Lumberyard. So (laughs) um, Lumberyard is Amazon's game engine that they're trying to, you know, compete with Unity and Unreal. And Lumberyard is a derivative of CryEngine, but it has AWS services hooked up and has a few other tweaks. Now, CIG switch from making Star Citizen with CryEngine to Lumberyard, and what that means is apparently they signed an exclusive deal to m- develop this game under CryEngine. Now, I don't know what the exact licensing agreement was, but crytex states that. The licensing of the CryEngine was for both Spaces and and its related Space Fighter game, Squadron 42. Now, I'm getting this from GameIndustry.biz. They're the ones who reported on it. And, uh... Yeah, basically... I thought, honestly, Amazon bought CryEngine and Crytek. But now that I see that they're two... like That's how much attention I paid to that. Now I see that they're two separate companies. And that Crytek is actually suing over a switch from Crytek to Lumberyard when they had exclusive licensing rights to a game being made in Crytek. It's pretty interesting. So basically CIG at this point is saying that uh, there's no wrongdoing because um, there's conflicts of interest and both parties leaving the key people from both parties leaving during the signing of this agreement um I don't know GameIndustry.biz is reporting that the CryEngine licensing fee for the project is 2.21 million dollars and 2.39 million dollars if they opted to release a mod tool so oh this is a hard one I can't see how CIG is gonna get out of this. Obviously, I don't have the exact licensing agreement in front of me, but if you sign something that specific and your legal defense is that, I don't know, you guys should just drop it. Because the people who negotiated a deal for CryTech have left CryCheck and gone to CIG. That's not a very good defense. So we I guess we'll expect to see this settled out of court because I can't see this going to deliberation. Um, I don't know. CIG not a good move, and honestly, to add to the hilarity, um, VG24Seven reported a hilarious stat that for I think the second year in the row, Star Citizen as a game <laughs> outraised more money in 2017 then the entire game segment of kickstarter let that sink in so <laughs> this game that's never been released and i don't know maybe never will be released outraised the entire game section of kickstarter so star citizen raised an additional 34.91 million dollars pretty much $35 million dollars in 2017 and basically Kickstarter's video game campaigns raised a total of 17.25 million so pretty much $17 million dollars, that's ridiculous um, I don't know, if you guys are spending money on Star Citizen, um, I guess contact me and I can teach you about investments that will actually pay out so anyways moving on um so we all know the emmys the oscars the grammys well the video game industry has awards as well and we have three major award shows so we have dice which is held february 22nd in las vegas we have the game developers um conference award shows what are these called again I guess they are called just GDC awards. I thought there was another name. So those will be given out March 21st at the Game Developers Conference. And then we have the Independent Games Festival Awards. Those are actually held simultaneously with the GDC awards March 21st. So interesting enough, I remember I went to one GDC award show and everyone nominated And winning a GDC award was dressed very professionally and wearing a suit. And everyone winning an IGF award, the Independent Games Festival award, was wearing like flannels and like metal band shirts or ratty T-shirts. It's a it's a pretty good sight to see. um, And I love both communities brought together in one award show. So let's talk about the Dice Award nominations. Those were released this week and I'm just going to go over game of the year because there's a ton of nomination categories so for DICE game of the year leading it off we have Cuphead now that's actually great to see Cuphead from Studio MDHR getting the recognition it deserves um, from DICE in a flat out game of the year category not like best independent game or you know best downloadable game flat out game of the year so, second we have Horizon Zero Dawn from Guerrilla Games. I'm sure all of you have played it. You love it. Um, we have PUBG, Player Unknown's Battleground. Very interesting that that's nominated under Game of the Year. Super Mario Odyssey from Nintendo. I don't think anyone's going to argue against that. And also, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild from Nintendo. Also, not a surprise. Another amazing game. Um, anything I think should be on the list that isn't? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to argue what amazing AAA games we have. Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, I think that's just a derivative sequel, and then Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. I didn't even play that game, so I can't even comment as whether it's good. So Game of the Year, those nominations sound pretty legit. So let's go over to the GDC awards. Let's see what their Game of the Years are. We start off with PUBG, no surprise. Surprisingly, Platinum Games near Automata on the GDC Game of the Year Awards. That's amazing. Um, this is a hardcore action game, I guess in a similar vein of uh, Devil May Cry and Bayonetta. Yeah, very interesting that a hardcore action game like this, that's very specific. Um, it's not a game that tries to... Reach large audiences, very specific audience, um, would be on Game of the Year for GDC Awards. So next on GDC Awards, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Super Mario Odyssey. So for repeats, I guess we have Cuphead for DICE Awards and Nier Tamana for GDC Awards. So let's go over to the IG- IGF Awards. So we have the Grand Prize. That's their highest award, the Seamus McNally Grand Prize, sorry. So first up, we have Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy. That's an amazing game. If you haven't seen it, just check out any Twitch stream playing it. Next, we have Night in the Woods by Infinite Fall. I haven't played a lot of these games, so I can't even tell you what they're about. I need to get on my indie game. I need to get my indie game street cred up again. I need to go on Steam and just swipe that credit card. So, Nine in the Woods by Infinite Fall. West of Loathing by Asymmetric Publications. Into the Breach by Subset Games. Heat Signature by Suspicious Developments. And Baba is You by Hemp Pooley. So, you guys can check out the game list for those at IndieGames.com. And then most major game publications list the DICE and GDC award nominations. So you can go to Gamma Sutra or GameIndustry.biz to check those out. So let's start wrapping this up. Next thing I want to talk about is uh, Gamma Sutra reports a record $3 billion in ARVR investment in 2017, with 1.5 of those billions coming in Q4. Now, here's where I have to. I have to really argue against VR. I don't, I don't, I have no stake in any of these companies, but I personally don't see a future in VR. I think VR is too exclusive to very particular setups. You have to have a powerful computer, you have to have space, you know, unless you're just on a rail or you're going to be controlling your character through, um, A controller and just looking around in VR you have to have space in your apartment or home and frankly it's very expensive and I've never played a game on VR compelling enough to make me want to purchase however having said that I think personally AR is the future of gaming or at least one segment of the future of gaming now when AR will be affordable who knows but right now AR You know, I think everyone knows it's coming, and it's kind of one of those things where it's like, just when is it gonna get here? Kind of like, I think when Free-to-Play started taking on, everyone, I think, saw Free-to-Play and microtransactions slowly creeping into console games, and we just didn't know when it was gonna take over. And now we're halfway through that takeover now. And I think AR is the same thing. Like, I don't know when, I don't know what company, but I know AR is going to be huge at some point. Um, so let's look at let's look at some highlights from this Game of Future article. One interesting thing I see is V. They mentioned VCs are looking for startups to dominate a vertical first, then turn that into a horizontal platform play. So what that means is. They're looking at startups to make verticals into AR. So single projects to show you what AR could possibly be. So let's just say some kind of AR game that we can all play together, like an AR MMO, right? And then once that proof of concept is there, they would then take AR and turn it into an AR platform that other games could build off of through an API or maybe an AR platform in the form of like network AR games, AR distribution like Steam. I don't know. But I find it interesting that they are investing in vertical-focused startups first. Um, So I guess if you want AR money, you want to fund the game industry, hop a plane to Silicon Valley and start pitching AR dream projects. Um, So... The other interesting thing is VCs are interested in AR, native AR mobile apps, um, not ports from other platforms. So this leads me to wonder when AR is coming to mobile, full AR. And that is, when are we going to have glasses that sync with our phones that give us full AR? And just like your phone's becoming a game console, a full-on game console, I think the glasses or whatever AR um, output device syncing with your phone is any matter of time. And so once that happens, I think we'll see a second uh, gold rush like we saw with the mobile game gold rush. I think we'll see a full-on AR gold rush. So, you know, maybe if you guys, I think Unity now supports AR. So if you guys want to just start on your AR projects right now, go ahead and Fire up Unity and start selling the VCs. Um, speaking of VR and how I don't think it's going to succeed, Sony has reported... So GameIndustry.biz reported Sony expects 130 PlayStation VR games this year. That's an 80% increase driven by 2 million install base. That's ridiculous. So there's apparently 150 PlayStation VR games. That means... Anything from a small project, like I just messed around with Unity and Cubes and PlayStation let me release it on PlayStation VR, all the way up to a game made for PlayStation VR and games that might have just support for PlayStation VR. (sighs) Sony, I don't know. You know, I could be wrong on all of this, but frankly, Sony, I just don't see it. I I really don't know anyone who bought Sony... VR glasses and uses them even once a week, maybe even once a month. I don't know anyone who's put them on in the last month. I could be in the minority, but I just, I just don't see VR happening right now. I think VR happens after AR once again, when like your neural system gets to hook up with VR in some kind of weird sword art online situation. That's when VR takes off. Right now, what PlayStation's offering, PlayStation VR, um, it's just like a gimmick. It's something that is novel, and then the novelty wears off, and then kind of the experience wears off. So, I mean, it's good to see PlayStation supporting its projects. Um, and I guess we'll just have to see. Maybe I'll be eating my words. So the last thing I want to talk about really fast is kind of just the eSports scene. So the first most interesting one is twitch gets the overwatch league rights and for the regular season and playoffs outside of china this is very weird so if you guys don't know how sports work i'm just going to make this up because i don't know how sports works but i assume um you have nba teams and let's say mark cuban owns the mavericks and then the dallas mavericks negotiate their tv rights to, I don't know, regular season games with TNT, right? And then the NBA probably negotiates the finals and playoffs with various broadcasters as well. And then Mark Cuban makes money, the Mavericks make money, and the NBA makes money off all these rights. And so what's interesting is Overwatch is now big enough that it was able to auction off the rights to watch its pro games. Um, that's pretty crazy if you think about it. So yeah, I mean, how soon are we going to have esports on ESPN? I know we had a few esports on ESPN2 and maybe on ESPN, like the main channel as well. The one I recall was Evo last year, and I believe the year before. And that's because I'm a huge fighting game fan so of course I follow that but um, yeah I wonder what's going to happen because this is getting interesting once once esports get big enough that people bid real money on just the broadcast rights um, we esports now <laughs> that's a fighting game term but uh, um, yeah it's pretty interesting it's pretty interesting so I'm curious to see how this plays to other esports games because now that Twitch has paid for Overwatch, can other esports games that are pretty popular, like could Capcom negotiate Street Fighter V streaming rights with Twitch and then maybe get a bunch of money? I don't know. So that's pretty interesting. So the last story is uh, Asus sets up a Chinese esports company with $17 million investment. Wow, so (laughs) that's not that much money when you consider, um how much money goes into some of these League of Legends pro league teams. And so for you, those of you who don't know, League of Legends has pro teams in various locations. So they have a North America circuit, they have a European circuit, they have a Russia circuit, I believe, and they have a Chinese circuit, and then they actually have a uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and there's one other country. I'm sorry if we get this wrong. And they're in the circuit of their lo- their own, so it's pretty crazy that um, that much money is going into setting up esports teams, especially for League of Legends. Um, yeah, I don't know what to think about this, because on one hand... These companies are paying League of Legends for the rights to set up a team, but it's not the same as when, once again, like Mark Cuban buys the Dallas Mavericks. Because I do believe League of Legends just recently cut a bunch of teams without notice. And they weren't even allowed to pay the money to set up a new team. So Asus, a big company, bringing in this this type of money in League of Legends. I guess it makes sense. So if League of Legends cut... Let's see, I think. Uh, who did League of Legends cut last year? Uh, I can't remember. Was it Echo Fox? League of Legends cut some, a number of teams last year. And uh, yeah, I guess if the teams were cut for major corporations, they then sponsor teams to the tune of $16 million. I guess it makes sense. So League of Legends is now you know, just going to start raking in franchise monies from selling spots in the pro leagues. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I honestly, it's hard for me to follow team-based games like this. I much prefer the fighting games where the teams just filled people playing these fighting games and then hope that they make it to the finals. Because if you look at even EVO, which is considered the most prestigious tournaments in all the fighting games, if you're Justin Wong, You could be sponsored by, you know, President Trump, and you'd still have to clear the whatever, like, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people of that inner Street Fighter V to make it to the Grand Finals. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting what League of Legends is doing. I'm sure that they're just, they have a lot of really smart MBAs and economists, and they're trying to figure out, you know, best learnings from MLB, NBA, NFL, and how, NHL, sorry, hockey fans, and how to apply it to that. Okay, well, there it is, my first episode of This Week in Games. Um, I'm sure it was pretty crappy, but we'll get better from here. Um, signing off, this is Eric McConnell. Bye.